Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with all of you. Good to see uh, our regulars. Good to see some friends and guests. Good to see Joey and Tamara's family and Brooke and Jonathan and friends. We're glad to see all of you. Two weddings in our church this week, so we're excited to have you guys with us. It's been a couple of exciting weeks in our family as well. Our, our host daughter, Navia, graduated from Huntington University two weeks ago, and um, we actually just said goodbye to her this past Tuesday um, as she flew to Oakland, California to begin her career uh, as a nurse in the emergency room. Um, it wasn't uh, goodbye forever, uh, but it was a different goodbye because every time we've said goodbye before, it's been okay, we'll see you at Thanksgiving, we'll see you at Christmas. This was kind of a goodbye without knowing the next time we would see her, so it, so it hit different. And uh, on this Mother's Day, I remember my mom uh, saying goodbye to me uh, when she dropped me off at college uh, for the first time. Um, and I was, as a teenager, I was a little embarrassed by all of her tears. I may have teased her a little bit on that day, uh, but now as I'm a little older and I, re- I reflect, I, I, I'm beginning to sense how sh- she really felt when she had to say goodbye. Uh, in the passage that we've been in, the passage we're in this morning, John 14 through 17, this is Jesus' goodbye to his disciples. He is preparing them for life without his physical presence. And they are now going to be responsible for his kingdom work. As, as we just sang, leaving your spirit until the work is done. They are continuing his work. Jesus Jesus' coming to inaugurate the kingdom of God was an invasion into enemy territory, if you will. He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And so our job is to continue that kingdom work, to shine a light into the darkness and to overcome evil with love, unity, and truth. However, this kingdom work, it creates a conflict with the world. Because Satan is against what the church is doing and the world is ultimately in conflict with the kingdom of God. So to understand this morning's text, we need to hear the intensity of the conflict Jesus predicts will happen. It did happen in that generation and it still happens in many places today. And actually, the context of this passage starts back in John chapter 15. Uh, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or open up on your phone if you would like to follow along. Uh, This is right after Jesus has pleaded for his disciples to abide in him, to remain in him, and to love each other as Christ had loved them. And I think he knew that we would need to be intimately connected with him and to love each other because he knows how intense the battle, how intense the spiritual warfare, how intense the conflict with the world is going to be. You're going to have to remain connected to me and love each other. And then he says in verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus assumes that the world system at large will hate his disciples. Now, sometimes when Christians hear this, you might be tempted to uh, maybe get angry or upset, and uh, really that's giving the devil a foothold in your life to allow bitterness to take root. That's not what this passage is about. Because remember, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. We're not to be upset by this conflict. We're not to be surprised by the opposition. When we are hated for our belief in Christ, we are to rejoice 
And we're to remember that we ought to pray for them, love them, and ultimately our goal is to win them over to the kindness and love of God. But the conflict still exists. And the conflict that Jesus envisions is not people just not liking Christians. You know, sometimes I think we think that people not liking us or not agreeing with us, we, we conclude that that is persecution. Well, I agree that that can be difficult, but I think Jesus is envisioning something quite more intense than that. John 16, if we're flip, flip over to there. He says in verse 1, and remember, this is, this is the intense goodbye. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Jesus says people are going to kill you and think they're doing God a favor. Surely that happened right away, as that's exactly what the Apostle Paul participated in before his conversion, is it not? Thought he was doing God a favor. So it's with these sobering words. These, I mean, I can't think of more sobering than this. You're, you, I'm leaving you, and your life is going to be in danger because of me. And then Jesus has the audacity to, to say, but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. In spite of all that might happen to you, it's for your good that I am going away. And the word there, for your good, it means to your advantage, it's to your profit that I go away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. You have to ask, would you trade the Holy Spirit in your life for Jesus being here in the flesh? Based on the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, I contend that that would be a really bad trade. Because before, the, sometimes we think it would be better if Jesus was just here. But friends, before the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, they were afraid they were fickle. They all abandoned him in his hour of greatest need. And they could not understand most of anything he was saying. They were utterly confused. But after the Spirit comes, they finally understand the incredible mysteries of God. They proclaim the gospel of Jesus in the most dangerous places to the very people who killed Jesus. They're in there with them, telling them the good news. The Holy Spirit changed everything. In fact, I think we don't appreciate the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives enough. But we also have to, why is it the case that the Spirit, the Spirit couldn't come unless Jesus went away? The church father, John Chrysostom, puts it simply, he could not come because the curse had not yet been taken away. Sin had not yet been forgiven, and everything was still subject to the penalty for it. See, remember the Old Testament? You know, when the tabernacles and the temples are built, they had all those elaborate sacrifices, all of the purifying of that place, so that the glory of God, the presence of God, could come dwell in the temple. And friends, this is what Jesus is going away accomplished for us. His going away includes his cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, his resurrection to death, and his ascension to heaven where he opens wide heaven's gates. From the throne of this universe, he sends his spirit on his people who have been cleansed of sin and forgiven of sin by his precious blood. So it's a fact that the spirit could not be sent until our redemption, forgiveness, and cleansing from sin was accomplished. So in part, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and Ascension, those happened 
so that Pentecost could happen. Do you see that? Good Friday, Easter, and Ascension, all those happened to make possible Pentecost happening, the Spirit coming on God's people. So let me sum up the context so far. There is a huge conflict with the world that's ongoing, but Jesus essentially says, don't worry, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So what is the Spirit going to do about this conflict with the worldly system? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And really, that verse is today. The Holy Spirit is going to do three things in regards to our conflict with the world. Now, these points may sound intense, uh, but remember that they are given to people whose mission is to reach the world to reach the world with the love of God, and, and, and these people that they're reaching out to are going to unjustly harm them. So give, Jesus gives them a word of hope, a word of hope for their mission, even though it's so dangerous. And he says, the, the first thing he says is that the Holy Spirit will reveal that the world is wrong about sin. Now, in this passage, we need to think of ourselves and the world in kind of a, a cosmic courtroom that, that we're, we're all on trial, so to speak, and the Spirit has been acting, Jesus says, as our advocate. He's on our side. But then in this passage, the Spirit has shifted roles. The Spirit is taking on the role of more of a prosecuting attorney here, proving to the courtroom, proving to the judge, the jury, and all those gathered that the world is in the wrong. And Jesus, and by extension, his people are in the right. The first thing the Spirit will reveal is that the world is in the wrong about sin. They are wrong, if you will, about what is wrong. They're wrong about what is wrong. Now, I want to be clear that this passage does not mean that somehow every person in the world is, is always wrong or can't say anything untruthful. That would be preposterous. Every, every person is made in the image of God. But what we're talking about is the world as a whole, as a culture, as a, as a collective sum is fundamentally wrong when it's opposed to Christ. Paul kind of says the same thing in Romans 1. The wrath of God or the judgment of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the, the judgment of God, the fact that the world is wrong about sin, it's going to be and is in the process of being revealed. People will see, see that this is false. Then Paul lists all kinds of sins that people go deeper and deeper into. And he gets on to the conclusion, verse 32, he says, Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve or applaud of those who practice them. Paul says, here's what's going on. Deep down, because people are made in the image of God, they tend to know at a basic level what's right and what's wrong. But because their deeds are evil, because they desire to do what is wrong, they continue to sin. They, must, they have to weaken and eventually kill the conscience inside them that tells them what they're doing is wrong. So they have to continue to repeat the behavior that they're doing to shut down that voice, kill that conscience inside them, and they want to encourage those around them to approve and applaud of the behavior, to celebrate what is going on. This is the cycle of the world. 
And Paul says that all of this mentality, all of this wrongness is going to be revealed. People's eyes will be open to the truth. But Jesus in this passage, he connects sin to something even deep, deeper. Verse, we're, we're still in verse 8 and 9. He will prove to be the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. Sin is connected to believing in Jesus or not. So what's, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world right now? We all know there's so many problems. The world may say it's, it's politics, it's corruption, lack of education, lack of resources, lack of equality, etc., etc. Each has a point. But what the, what's truly wrong with the world is sin. But, and what's truly behind sin is our lack of belief in Jesus Christ as the King and Redeemer of this world. That's what's truly wrong. Because the most fundamental about this universe, about this world that we live in, the most essential, most transformative thing is what we believe about Jesus Christ. I want to quote to you from Frederick Bruner, his commentary. It says, Jesus that the parable of the Spirit will show through his inspiration of the church's preaching, teaching, and living that the root wrong in the world is its refusal to believe in Jesus. And Bruner asks, is this religious fact really the deepest wrong in the world? Jesus answers that it is. For if Jesus really is who John's gospel records Jesus to be saying he is, then the refusal to believe this greatest of all uh, world realities would in fact be the greatest of all wrongs. We often think of believing in Jesus as a matter of personal taste rather than as the fundamental issue. Jesus teaches here and throughout the gospel that one's relation to him is a sin or righteousness, life or death, matter of truth. The sin the paraclete spirit constantly teaches is the refusal to think that Jesus is really all that important. That's what's at the root of everything. The most wrong thing the world will ever do is refuse to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a life or death matter. In fact, it's a this life or death matter because the thing our lives, our minds, our souls, our spirits need is Jesus Christ. What's wrong with this world? Sin has kept people from seeing and surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord. Sin has kept people in bondage from turning to Jesus as their Savior. That's what's wrong with this world. And the Holy Spirit is at work revealing this. The second thing, the Spirit will reveal. The Spirit will reveal that the world is wrong about righteousness and justice. In fact, that's that, what that word means when Jesus says they're wrong about righteousness. It's the, the, in the Greek, dikaiosune, and it can be translated righteousness or justice. So not only is the world wrong about what is wrong, they're also wrong about what is right. They're wrong about righteousness and justice. Again, I'm not saying individuals can't be right, or uh, really, I believe all truth, all righteousness, all justice, wherever we find it, that's from God. Thank the Lord. But again, as a whole, as a culture, as a system of beliefs, the world is fundamentally wrong about righteousness and justice. I mean, can anyone here deny that the world is profoundly unjust? That the world is profoundly unrighteous in its deeds? I don't think any of us could deny that this is a fact. 
In fact, in Jesus' day, the world and its rulers, those who were in charge, they put Jesus to death. They tried to enact justice. They tried to do what they thought was right. They called Jesus a sinner. They put him on trial and they sent him to the cross thinking they were doing the just and right thing. But they couldn't have been more wrong about what they thought was right. Jesus says in verse 10, the Spirit's going to reveal the wrongness about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can, know, where you can see me no longer. Again, Jesus is a little, it's a little, I'll be honest, this passage is a little strange. It's like, how is righteousness connected with this? Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Uh, and again, the going away, that includes the cross, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven. Uh, and really, this is talking about the fact that God, when God raised Jesus from the dead and he exalted him to the highest place in the heavenly realm, this is Jesus' vindication. This is God declaring him in the courtroom of the universe that you condemned him to die, but I'm saying he is my righteous one. He has my approval. He is the one in whom I approve. One scholar says that insofar as the terminology here is that of a, the lawsuit, that this righteousness means innocence. Not, however, in the moral sense of, upright, of uprightness, but in the forensic sense, the judicial sense, of being in the right of winning one's case. Jesus is going away. His exaltation to heaven is God saying Jesus is in the right. The world is in the wrong. The world condemned him as a sinner, but God declares him to be in the right. And now the Spirit is at work to expose that this Spirit in the world, that they were wrong about the righteous one. And it's interesting that Jesus adds that this righteousness is, uh, he's going away to the Father, and then he, then he adds, where you can see me no longer. So that gets us to this gospel, the good news that we believe. It's by faith, right? We proclaim that Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he ascended as the Spirit. We proclaim all of this by faith, that our righteousness, our justice is only made possible through him. Forgiveness of sins, freedom from sins, justice for all of our wrongs, it's only possible through Jesus. And we can see him no longer. So we ask you to accept this by faith, that God sent the Messiah, that God sent the King of Kings to come and redeem this world. So we accept this message by faith and we await the day when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Which leads me to my last point, is that the Holy Spirit will reveal the world is wrong about judgment. Jesus says, verse 11, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So if the prince of the world, the ruler of the world, Satan, stands condemned, then those in the world, those under his influence, stand condemned as well. Again, if the scene is a courtroom, the Holy Spirit will reveal that the world has been in the wrong. They've been wrong about what is wrong. They've been wrong about what is right. They're wrong about Jesus, whom they refuse to believe in. And if they have been wrong in this way, and if the prince of this world was condemned by the cross, then the world stands condemned too. As Paul preached in Athens, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So, because the world 
cannot accurately perceive what is truly wrong or what is truly right in the world. It will condemn and judge things, and especially Christians, falsely. Remember, this is the context. You will be hated. You will be condemned. They will put you out of the synagogue, and people will kill you thinking they're doing God a favor. Their judgment is totally off, Jesus is saying. So he's given them a word of hope that in the end, God will vindicate their belief in him, their belief in Jesus. And the Spirit will reveal that actually the world, they're the ones who stand under God's condemnation unless they repent. To sum up this passage on John 16, I can really think of no better commentary than John 3.16 in the following verses. So hear this, hear this again afresh and hear the verses after it as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Can you sense how that passage re-summarizes the things we've been talking about? The verdict of the light? And so to summarize, the Spirit's job is to expose and to reveal, to convince, convict the world that they are in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. At the final judgment, God's case will be won. Refusing to believe in Jesus will be shown to be the ultimate wrong. Jesus' life and death will be shown to be the ultimate act of justice and righteousness on behalf of all humanity. Jesus will judge the world and its ruler. They will be cast out of his presence in the ultimate act of justice, And the church can rest assured that no matter how unjustly they are treated in this world, God will ultimately vindicate Jesus and the church. Their case will be won. God will enact justice. But what about the meantime? What do we do until that day when God fully reveals and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? What do we do until that time? Right now, Jesus is at work, drawing people to himself. And I don't think the Spirit is waiting until the end to reveal all these things. The Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives right now, trying to open their eyes to the truth, to come to their senses, see that they've been in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, and to believe in the one who can save them from it all. But Jesus said, if you remember back in chapter 14, The world cannot accept the Spirit, for it neither sees Him nor knows Him. So how will it be that the Spirit will convict people and open their eyes to sin, righteousness, and judgment? How is that going to happen if they can't receive the Spirit? Friends, will it not be through those who have received His Spirit? For the Spirit-empowered ones, is it not through us? Is it not through the church whose eyes have been opened to the truth, who've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God? 
Isn't our job to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to help open people's eyes to Jesus' saving work? Jesus said back in chapter 15, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. Our job is to witness to what we have seen as the Spirit has opened our eyes to see it. So our job, we cooperate with the Spirit to help people see that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. We are to show people by the lives we live, by our character, by our love for each other, remind you, by our unity as the body of Christ, we're to show people Jesus is Lord. We're to show people that he is the true path of righteousness and justice. By faith, he makes us righteous with him. And he is the only sure way to escape the coming judgment and to be saved. But no matter what the results are, no matter how you share with people, no matter how they respond, no matter how much people might reject you or hate you, or persecute you, remember the word of hope that God is going to prove Jesus right. He will be vindicated, thus we will be vindicated. Leave the results to God. Rejoice and be glad no matter what happens. And may the Spirit empower you for this task.